the book of Genesis. For a few weeks, we are going to do a series on prayer. We're going to do a series on prayer. And so today's passage is going to be from Psalm chapter 139. We're going to look at Psalm 139 as we enter into a time of thinking about prayer. I want to talk about prayer. I want us to learn to pray. I want us to hope in prayer. I want prayer to be automatic for us. And so as we begin this series on prayer, I want you to ask yourself some some questions. If I were to come to you and I were to say, how is your prayer life? How would you answer that question? How much time do you think that you spent in prayer over the last week? Concentrated prayer. Where specific things where people had asked you to pray for stuff that you prayed about it. And if I ask you about your prayer life, how would that question even in itself strike you? Because that's how we talk about prayer a lot. How's your prayer life? And I want to confess to you today that the more I've thought about that, the more I think that's a kind of a bad question. That would be like me asking you, how is your salvation life? What does that mean? How is your salvation life? Because both salvation and prayer work by the same power. And that is our faith. Now, the true power, of course, is God himself. He's the only one who can answer prayer. But if our faith is weak in God, our prayer life will also be weak. In fact, I think if we start thinking about it as only a discipline... It's not that it's not a discipline. If you think of it only as a discipline, or if you always feel guilty about how often you are praying, it could be that you are not praying by faith, but by works. And so that's why we're disappointed in our prayer life. That can be one reason. But I also want to say that the reason if your prayer life is lacking, and my prayer life is lacking, it's not just because you don't have time. It's because you don't have faith. And I want you to think about that. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help us all examine ourselves. If your prayer life is poor, it's because your faith is poor. Because if you really believe that the omnipotent, all-knowing God who rules all the universe, if you really believe that He loved you like a child and that every single time you came to Him, He answered your prayer, you would pray. You would pray more. You wouldn't have to think, I've got to discipline myself to do this. It would be a communion with your Father. And so think about your prayer life and how you have been thinking about prayer. And if you're dissatisfied and you think, you know, I'm guilty. I haven't prayed enough. If it's sort of like my read through a Bible in a year program, it's just sort of something that you make yourself do or don't make yourself do. Consider that it could be because your faith is weak. But don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed by that because if you don't know, you can't improve. You can't get better. You can't understand what the problem is. So I want to tell you, myself, all of us, if our prayer life is lacking, it's because we are not believing as we should. And so the entire purpose of studying prayer is not just to get you to have another list where you can check your box. My earnest desire and prayer in this is to increase your faith. That's all. So let's begin reading in Psalm 139. It's a psalm of David. And here is what he prays. He also happened to sing it, by the way. Some 
Songs are prayers. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I lived at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light all around me will be night. Even darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book before a single... My, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious are your thoughts to me. How vast is their sum. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. They consider them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. We need to learn today that our confidence in our prayer is, is based in the fact that God is almighty. And when I say that he is God almighty, it means that he knows everything, that, and that he is all powerful, and that he is all wise, and that he is everywhere. And this is why David, as he writes this psalm, says he's overwhelmed with this knowledge. Because he knows that God knows everything that he's going to say and he knows everything that everyone else is going to say. And David knows how many thoughts that go through his head. How can God not only know all the thoughts that go through his head, but all the thoughts that go through everyone else's head? But today I want to encourage you in your prayer life by telling you this, that God Almighty knows you personally. I want to encourage you to pray because God Almighty knows you personally. The maker, creator, sustainer of all the universe knows you personally and intimately. If you look at the beauty of these first few verses as David begins to pray here, he says, Lord, you understand my thoughts from far away. It doesn't mean that God is far away from his thought. He's poetically saying, Lord, you know my thoughts long before I think them. 
you know what I'm going to think. He says, before a word is formed on my tongue, you know what I'm going to say. God knows everything about you. This is what our Lord Jesus said, did He not? He said, don't worry about anything. Why? Because the Lord knows how many hairs are on your head. He cares for the sparrow. And are you not worth more than many sparrows? If your heavenly Father clothes and adorns the flowers of the field that are burned off by midday, will He not take care of you, O you of little faith? God knows you. Every situation, every problem, everything that has ever befallen you in your life, God has been there. David says here, where can I go to escape your spirit? If I went to heaven, you would be there. And if I went down to the grave, there you are. If I try to hide in the dark, you're with me. When I go to sleep, you're with me. When I wake up, you're with me. Always God is with you. Now, if we believe that God is always with us wherever we go, then that will help us to pray because we will believe He always hears us. In fact, God knows you better than you know you. Who knows who you were? He knows things about you you've forgotten. He knows who you are better than you understand yourself. And He knows who you're going to be more than you've dared dream. He knows who you are. And He loves you. And He sticks to you closer than a brother. God Almighty knows you. And He doesn't just know about you. His knowledge of you is intimate as a special creation. You are not here by chance. There is no human being on the earth here by chance. There are no mistakes. There are no accidents. Every single person is here for a reason, for a purpose. Every single one. No matter the circumstance, God himself has formed you and everyone else in their mother's womb. He not only created you. He says here that he has all your days written and planned before the first one began. He is sovereign. That's why you don't need to worry about a hair on your head. All the things that happen to you, life circumstances, things that come crashing in around you may feel so random. Or you might not feel that you have worth or you might think you're worth more than uh, perhaps you have become a little proud. Any of these thoughts that come to your mind, anything that happens to you along life's way, God already knows them. And He is working in you, through you, not just for you, but for every single person whose life you touch. There is no unimportant life. None. Every single life is profoundly impactful. You know, we, I was reading this thing that NASA now has a plan. Thank goodness, right? that so the next meteor that might strike planet Earth, they might keep it from striking us. So I'm glad they have these plans in place. But did you know that the further off an asteroid is, the less you have to move it to keep it from missing us? And here's what I want to say about that. Every life, every contact, every single time you touch another person's life, you alter their course for good or for bad. Listen to me. That's why every single human life is important. Every child is important. The Bible says here that even when we are being knit together in our mother's womb, it is God who does it. It's like, 
he's knitting us together. Every single one of those children are important. I, I know that abortion has been in the, the news lately, and I don't want to just talk about that in the sermon, but it'd be bad not to mention it here. All those lives are important. There is no way that having a child in the womb doesn't alter the course of life forever. They have an impact. Even children who die in infancy have eternal impact on the lives of their parents and everyone who comes into contact with them because we know they're sacred, made in the image of God. That's why it's so abhorrent. Because everyone is truly special. God makes us in our mother's wombs, knows every day of our life, from the day we are born until the day we pass. The Bible says, precious in the sight of God is the death of all the saints. He will be there when you're born. He will gather you when you die. This is why we can pray to our Father. Because He does care and He does listen every moment of every day. This is why David, when he contemplates this, says, God, this is too wonderful for me to know. I cannot imagine how you take such care of me. This is why he says in Psalm 8, What is man that you take notice of him, or the son of man that you even care about him? How can this be true? But it is true. God gives us children as gifts. Every last person on the face of the earth is an image bearer from God and for God. So we should pray that we understand one another like this, not only those who are being born, but those who are already here. Every last one. Every last person. We are called on by our Savior to be a witness of His love to every last one of those image bearers in this world. Can you do that? Why don't you pray about it? Ask the Lord to help you. You're going to make so many contacts today. Today alone. Today alone you will shift the course of people's lives. By just how you behave today. A little nudge. A little nudge. A little nudge. Which way are they going because of you? Not only are we all known personally by God, not only are we all His special creations, every single one of us knit together in the womb by God. God knows our suffering. Verse 19 is pretty shocking, isn't it? You're going through here and you're with Him. He's, he knows me. He's knit me together in the womb. He's knit all the babies together in their womb. And you're, you're thinking about all these things. And in verse 19 He says, God, if only you would kill the wicked. And you're like, whoa, hold up. How did we get to this? From you have known me. If you read through the book of Psalms, you will find the book of Psalms, you will find over and over again God, uh, the, the psalmist writing to God for justice. God kill the wicked, God break their jaw, God knock their teeth out, God punish the wicked over and over again. Why would David write something like this? He wants him, he wants God to kill. The bloodthirsty, the wicked, the hypocrites. Those who invoke the name of the Lord God in order to further their own wicked schemes. 
He can't stand the hypocrisy. He can't stand for people to use the name of the Lord to advance evil. And he is like, why don't you just kill these wicked people, Lord? Should you pray like this? In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your anguish. Notice, he is concerned here because of the wickedness that they make manifest in the world. Should we pray like this? We must always remember that justice belongs to the Lord. And we must also remember this as well. Every single one of us was, were once enemies of God. Every last one of us were alienated from the grace of God, alienated from the people of God. Remember, there's a, there's a funny story in, in the Gospels about John and James. And they went to this city and Jesus was preaching and they ran them out. And John and James said, Lord, why don't you just rain fire down from heaven and kill these people? And Jesus called them the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. <laughs> he said, guys, I didn't come to rain fire down on people. I came to save them from the fire. So yes, we can pray for justice, but remember that justice belongs to the Lord. And one day He will judge and He will do what is right. We are allowed to ask God to bring His justice swiftly. But remember in every prayer that God had mercy on you. So such prayers ought not be taken lightly. Pray for God's mercy. I believe in our New Testament context we would do better to pray for our enemies and for their conversion. That would stop their wickedness. And remember, justice will be done because God Himself will bear the penalty of the transgressor no matter how terrible they are. And in fact, the one who is forgiven much, what did Jesus say? They love much. We ought to pray that people's eyes will be open and they will repent then the old man will truly be dead and the new will come. But God knows of our suffering and He will hear our cries for justice and they are not out of bounds. He will listen. And so here is one thing you can do. You can pray shocking prayers to God. That's what this is in 19 through 22 to me. It's shocking. God, get rid of these wicked hypocrites. He is frustrated. He's at His end. Whatever you are frustrated and at your wit's end with, God knows... God knows where your mind is. He knows where your heart is. He knows where your anger is. He knows your frustration, your fears, your disappointments. And you can come to Him and you can say as bluntly as David does here in this psalm, Lord, I am angry. I am upset. This is bothering me. Help me, Lord. Now we're praying. God knows and God hears. Let Him hear of how the wicked have caused you anguish and pain. Let him hear all the stories of your sorrows. Let him hear all of your frustrations. You can even tell him you're upset with him. It's sin. You might as well tell him. He knows anyway. Is there any biblical precedence for such prayers? Yes. Remember Jonah, the big baby? <laughs> Forty days and God will overthrow. Remember he tried to run off. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He took a ship to Tarshish. God 
delivered him there. And at the end of that story, we find out why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He goes and preaches, yet 40 days and God will overthrow him. What does the king of Nineveh do? He tears his clothes, repents in sackcloth and ashes. He said, this is not enough. We're too wicked. Everybody do sackcloth and ashes. And this is not enough. Make the cattle wear sackcloth and ashes. Put sackcloth and ashes on everything that breathes. What does God do? He relents. He says, tell them I'm not going to destroy them. And here's Jonah's prayer, his speech to God. I knew it. I knew it. This is why I didn't want to come. I knew if I preached to these people and they repented, you would forgive them. And I didn't want to come. I didn't want to see them forgiven. I wanted to see them destroyed. Well, that's a prayer. God answered it. He didn't kill Jonah. What did he do? Jonah. Jonah, there's 200,000 people in this city that don't know their right hand from their left. Should I just kill them all? Because you're mad at them, Jonah. Isn't the Lord patient and kind? loving pour out your heart to the Lord be like Hannah in Samuel she fell down before the altar of God and begged her for a child begged God for a child the Bible says that she was so worn out from praying she was laying there and her mouth was moving but no sound was coming out she didn't even have the strength or energy she was broken and remember Eli the high priest saw her and thought she was drunk She said, no, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just in anguish of heart. And the Lord heard her and answered her prayer. Listen, why don't you talk to the Lord? Do you believe that he's listening to you? Do you believe that he will hear your prayers and answer them? Have you not read that he said he would? He may not always answer them exactly the way you like, but he will always answer them for your best. And here at the end when he closes, just after he says, Lord, I wish you'd just kill him," He says, search me, God, and know my heart. That's a strange thing to pray here at the end because earlier, remember, he said, you know my thoughts far off. You know my thoughts way before I think them. You know my words before they come off my tongue. Why then here is he asking God, search me? God already knows him, right? He's not asking, I don't believe, God search me because God doesn't know. He's saying, God search me and show me. Show me. What's wrong with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Test me, Lord. We're not talking about a multiple choice quiz here. We're talking about testing like metals are tested, like the refiner's fire to make pure gold. Lord, test me in the crucible of your word. Let your eyes settle upon my soul. If there is any chaff to be found, winnow it. Test me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, you know my trajectory. 
just nudge me in the right way so I can go in the everlasting way. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us even when we don't even know what we need to pray for. I'll tell you this, this is one thing we need to pray for. Search me, O God. We need to ask God to sift us and to change us. We need to know why we do the things we do. What motivates us to sin? What is our lack of faith? What are we afraid of? May God reveal that to us. And as God begins to reveal to us more about ourselves, the more things that we can repent of, the more things that we can be aware of, the sweeter our prayers will be. Because the more in line with His will they will become. If you just had, Jesus said, the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, get up and be moved. And it would cast itself into the sea. Such promises. Test the Lord. See if He is listening. See if He will hear your cries. I don't mean test Him like Israel did in the wilderness. See if his promises are true. This is how Moses prayed, did he not? Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel go crazy and make an idol and start worshiping it and acting the fool. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're not going to believe this. You ain't even been gone 40 days. Children of Israel made for themselves a, an idol, and I'm fixing to kill them. I'm killing every one of them. There ain't going to be one of them left. I'm going to make from you a great nation. Starting over. Done with Israel. Start over with the nation of Moses. What did Moses say? Lord, what would the Egyptians say? What would they say of your glory? They'll say that you were not able to deliver them into the land of Canaan. Therefore, you killed them because you were not able to bring them. And besides that, you made a promise, Lord, to... Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that you would prosper their children, that they would become numerous like the sands of the seas and the stars in the sky. I don't want to be the nation of Moses. If you're going to kill them, go ahead and blot me out too. That's some praying right there. The Lord relented of the disaster he thought to bring upon his people. Listen, God has made you some Find promises. Talk to Him. Pray. Ask Him to be with you. Ask Him to sift you. Tell Him about the sorrow in your life. Remember that He is the one who needed you together and He is the one who made you. And the only reason you are here is because He wants you here. And He wants you to be with Him. Speak to Him of the things which are promised in His Word. And at the end say, Lord, search me and try me. Because James says, if I'm asking in a selfish way, I'm not going to receive. But when our prayers are kingdom focused, to the glory of God focused, when they're others focused, the Lord hears from heaven. And he will answer our prayers. Our confidence in prayer is because the almighty God knows everything, is all powerful, and he cares about you. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you will have mercy on us, your people. That you will grow our faith.
That, Lord, we will believe you when you say that you listen to us. That we will believe you when you say that you love us. And that we will ask you for the things that come in our heart. No matter what, Lord, let us come to you in prayer. And if you say no, let us understand why you would say no. Or why you say yes. So, Lord, we pray that you will make us a wiser people. Help us to be a people in prayer. Help us to be those when people say, will you pray for me? That we do it. Because we believe that you are listening and that you will answer. And that when we ask you for bread, you will not give us a scorpion. You will give us what we need. 